to another Adam Schefter podcast. The preseason is now over, and the regular season is upon us, and there is an awful lot going on in the National Football League. To get ready for week one, we'll be joined today by ESPN's new Monday night team, play-by-play man Joe Buck and analyst Troy Aikman as they look ahead to ESPN's opening Monday night matchup, Russell Wilson and the Broncos at the Seattle Seahawks. And then we'll be joined by the offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals, a man that helped that team get to the Super Bowl last season, Brian Callahan, as he talks about some of his experiences in the past and looks ahead to the future. And of course, we are coming off an enormous week of developments in the National Football League, none any more significant than what happened in Buffalo with the release of their rookie punter, Matt Ariza. Buffalo had no choice. It was, at this time, the only option for the Buffalo Bills. There's no reason to carry a rookie punter when there is a civil lawsuit outstanding, an investigation ongoing about whether or not he is guilty of gang raping with two other teammates at San Diego State, a 17-year-old college student. Just the details of it are disgusting and enough to make anybody sick. Now, he has argued that he is innocent, that he has been slandered, and he will have a chance to argue and prove his case. But the facts of the case are disturbing, and we will see what transpires. And in the end, Buffalo has left no choice but to move on from its rookie punter. And a lot of people wondered and questioned whether Buffalo knew anything before. And the one thing I could tell you from talking to other teams around the league, multiple teams, is that none of them had any idea of this at the combine and leading up to the draft process. Now, some have claimed that they did, but in talking to a few different teams and a few different front office members, prominent front office members, one said that our investigation team is as good and competent as anyone in the National Football League's. He finds out everything, and he knew nothing about this particular case with Matt Ariza. So I will lean on the words of that particular front office and the others that I spoke to about the fact that they said they had no idea that any of this had transpired last October when the Buffalo Bills used a draft pick on Matt Ariza, the punter from San Diego State. Buffalo, I think in the end, did what it could to move on from the mess that was there in Buffalo and to handle the situation as correctly as it could at that point in time. It cut the punter that's under investigation. He can now tend to his business and try to prove what he believes is his innocence. And the Buffalo Bills get to go on without anything hanging over that particular football team. And as for on the field, the big development this week came in San Francisco where the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo reached agreement on a restructured contract that will pay him a fully guaranteed $6.5 million base salary for this upcoming season. Now, what's important to note about that restructured deal is it includes a no-trade clause and it includes a no-tag clause, meaning that after this season, the 49ers cannot use a franchise or transition tag on Jimmy Garoppolo and he will become a free agent. And the no-trade clause gives Garoppolo final say over where he wants to spend the season, which is right now in San Francisco. But should there be a quarterback injury early in the season to a contender, you'd have to figure that the first place that they would look and think about would be San Francisco, and it would be Jimmy Garoppolo. And if that is the case, and it's a situation that's attractive enough to Jimmy Garoppolo, and that team is willing to offer enough compensation to the 49ers, so both teams have to sign off on it, then Garoppolo could be traded later this season before the NFL trade deadline. But at this time, there's not a readily apparent team that needs a quarterback that was willing to give up the necessary draft compensation. And if you think about the 49ers, they once traded a third and fourth round pick to go get Emmanuel Sanders, the wide receiver, right before the trade deadline. If there's a team out there that needs a quarterback, then they might be willing to give up something similar for Jimmy Garoppolo this season to help keep their season alive if they were to lose their particular starting quarterback for any particular reason. So really what the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo did 
is they gave him his freedom and they pushed the deadline for him to be traded, not until the NFL's most recent cutdown day, but till the NFL's trade deadline day. So they just kicked the can down the road and things become more easy and there might be more options available. And in the interim, they have Jimmy Garoppolo backing up Trey Lance. It is clear he is the backup. They are moving forward with Trey Lance. This gives them a quality backup, the best single backup in the entire National Football League as they get ready to open the 2022 season. And that's a valuable backup to have as any team that lost its starting quarterback can attest in the past. The 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo did the right thing and really the only thing in the end that made the most sense for both parties. All right, we're going to have some fantasy advice at the end of this podcast, and we're going to have some fun fantasy stories to share for those having their fancy football drafts before the regular season begins. But in the interim, we're going to begin to look ahead to one of the most significant changes that occurred during the offseason when Joe Buck and Troy Aikman left Fox after 20 years there together and moved to ESPN as ESPN's new Monday night football team, the great broadcasters, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. You're getting us. You're getting the. You're getting the fumes right now. <laughs> I always wanted to get the fumes, Joe. That's we're that's cycled through the ESPN machine. We've been hearing about. I, I, yeah, well, welcome to the ESPN machine, Troy. I've been a part of it for 13 years. It's a great hey, machine to be a part of. You don't look too beat up. Yeah, you know, 55 years old. I don't look as good as you, but I'm trying. <laughs> right. We're all trying. <laughs> some of us just succeed, and some of us don't. I. I I've been trying since I was about eight. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I want to reach out to both of you guys for a lot of reasons. But we got the season beginning, Monday night, September 12th, Denver at Seattle. How do we feel about officially making your ESPN broadcasting debut in a huge Monday night game? Awesome. Feel awesome. It's going to be exciting. You know, I mean uh... – the schedule's great. Week one's awesome with, uh, you know, be a great atmosphere there in Seattle. And and Russ, of course, all he's done going back and being a part of the iconic Monday night football booth. Uh, can't wait. Yeah. And, and you know, we did a, a practice game a couple weeks ago. It was actually in Seattle, which helps kind of the, the whole prep stuff. But it, it felt great. And Troy and I think we're a little bit unsure of how it would feel and about one series into the fake broadcast uh i i kind of looked at him he looked at me and was like okay this we can exhale now we're we're this is how it always has felt and that was a great great feeling to be able to share that feel that get out of there at halftime which was the most important thing and then uh and get ready for week one we we can't we can't wait to go 20 years together at Fox, right? Yeah. So what will be the biggest difference now opening this season going from Fox to ESPN? Is there anything different about your jobs as they currently are constituted? Joe. Yeah, I, yeah, there is because, and, and it's all good. You know, it's a new producer, new director, new sound guy in the booth, new sound guy in the truck. Uh, so many more, uh, helpful research weapons that we have that we didn't have before. Um, I, 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 I don't want to speak for Troy, but I, I have been blown away with the amount of support, <clears throat> excuse me, support staff uh, and, and the notes that they provide. It's just more than he and I have ever had. And so, they're cutting down in some ways. And in one way, it, it, on one hand, it's kind of overwhelming. On the other, it cuts down that part of the prep. And then you can kind of just concentrate on the broadcast. But yeah, it, it's going to be different for us because we're listening to different voices. We're relying on new people. But as far as, as the viewer at home, I, I think it'll be the ESPN uh, wrapping paper around Troy and Joe and what we've done together for 20 years. So I, it's the best of both worlds. And, and I, I, for one, I mean, I'm tired of sitting around. I can't wait to go get in that booth and get to work. 
Yeah, Adam, it's been uh, it, it's been awesome. Um, I, I know we're we're still in the honeymoon phase, uh, but everything that we've encountered at ESPN has been first class. I mean, it's just been great. Um, in a lot of ways, I guess Fox uh, is is more of a mom and pop type operation, so there's a lot there's a lot more layers, if you will, at ESPN. But the people take a lot of pride, as you know, in the work that they do, uh, very buttoned up, very professional, uh, couldn't be more impressed, uh, with everyone that we've come in contact with, but to elaborate a little bit more on what you asked, you know, in our booth, people think of just Joe and I, uh, but there's other support people that, that we bring with us. And so we have those same people. So outside of a couple of ESPN personnel, our booth is pretty much, there's a lot of comfort that comes with that. You know, and if he was working with someone else or if I was working with someone else, it would change dramatically uh, what that looks and feels like to us. So uh, he he put it very well. Uh, You know, it's the ESPN wrapping paper around pretty much uh, what we have been doing and with the people we've been doing it with. How many support people are coming with you from Fox over at ESPN? How many are there altogether? Well, I mean, Joe has his spotter. He has his, uh, you know, he has his stats guy, and then and then I've got a spotter that I've been working with for the last four years, and in, in Dave Moulton, and uh, and he's he's awesome. So, the 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 front line folks, I guess that 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 we interact with, besides ourselves, uh, those those people, and then ESPN has a couple of people that. You know that I got a chance to to meet when when I was there at the game a couple of weeks ago for the rehearsal game, and and they're top notch as well. So uh, Joe said it. Uh, there's there's a lot coming at us. Uh, a lot of what we did really on our own, uh, ESPN has handled. You know, so I'm yeah. amazed. I mean, we're used to doing it one way for all these years, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, here here you go, and we're like, well, wait a minute. You do this? And they said, oh, yeah, every week? Yeah. I was, wow, this is going to be amazing. So it's uh, it's been really fun. You know, you know what it's like? You guys are the big, high-profile free agents who come in. So, Troy, think about what would have happened during your career if you had taken your contract to free agency, left Dallas, and landed with another franchise. You would have really figured out what this treatment was about if you had just been willing to leave the Cowboys. Yeah, the only uh, the only time I got to experience this treatment is when I broke my leg trying to run the wishbone offense at the University of Oklahoma, and I transferred to UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> Does it remind you of that in any kind of way? Uh, no, <laughs> not one. <laughs> no, he got paid more back then. Yeah. There were no NIL deals. Hell, I didn't even get a hat. You know, I mean, they didn't even give me a hat on my visit. So, you know, it was uh, tough sledding. <laughs> and Joe's Joe's never been a free agent like this to where he could be courted. I wasn't even a free agent. I mean, I was still signed. So Troy leaves and I'm like, uh, hello, what, what just happened? I thought for sure, Troy, if anything was going to do the games on Amazon and then come be with me at Fox in the late games and then do the postseason at Fox. And we would just continue on. And then the thing just kind of happened so fast that I had to then go to work to try to get out of the last year of my contract. So ESPN and Fox made some trade of a. It's not a great football game. I thought I was worth more. It's and and I'm I, I went to Indiana. I mean, we're it could it would, could have even if it was an Indiana game, I would have had more pride than uh, Penn State, Iowa. Maybe I don't I don't know who's in the game, but Purdue maybe doesn't matter. It's not one that's memorable. I wanted like Ohio State, Michigan, or something like that, but it, that's all I was worth. Well, did, didn't Al Michaels once get traded for like Mickey Mouse or something yeah, to that for, effect, for a, right? For a cartoon that uh, that somebody had the rights to. So I, these things are weird, and it's I I didn't expect to have to go with kind of hat in hand to my bosses at Fox and say, "Look, Troy's gone. My wife Michelle's at ESPN. I think change will be good for all of us." You know, I couldn't be happier for the guys that took my spot, whether it's Joe Davis in baseball, Kevin Burkhart. Uh, in football, get out of their way, stay with the the known quantity and one of my best friends on the planet in Troy, and go kind of hit the refresh button and see what it's like elsewhere and and be reinvigorated and 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 just try to grow and get better somewhere else. That that's all exciting and and that's that's the most important part of it. 
What was it like for you to get the news of Troy leaving? And how did you get that news? Did Troy call you? Did you hear about it somebody else? What happened there to kind of spell that out? I th- I think Troy might have talked to me and told me I'm I'm fairly certain. You know, we were in we we talked at that stretch. As I said earlier today on a, on another thing, I, it would be uh, a total exaggeration to say we talked every day when that was all going on, but we talked every other day, and uh, I was not surprised by anything. And and to Troy's credit, you know, he he said this earlier too, and he said I don't know if it was the right thing to do or not, but he was very open about his contract situation with all of us in the booth, with our production group at Fox, and there were no surprises. So once the trigger was pulled, then that kind of started the countdown clock for me. And there was a finite window of time for me to get out of my deal before ESPN moved on and, you know, hired somebody else, probably Al Michaels. So it, it, there were, there was a lot of, mm. a lot of stress involved and a lot of moving parts and it just happened to all work out. And here we are now, getting ready here for, we are. for week, getting ready for week one. Troy, what would you say is Joe's greatest attribute as a broadcaster? Oh man, um, great question. There's so there's so much. I mean, I when you for people who know the business when they're at home and they hear Joe, there's an appreciation for how great he is. But it pales in comparison to what I think when you're actually in the booth with him watching it. You know, there's times when, you know, we had a great truck and everything, but there's times when things get thrown at you that you're not quite prepared for. And he was seamless, flawless uh, Mm. with it, you know, covers up a lot of my mistakes, covers up a lot of people's mistakes. Um, There's nothing that happens within the game that he misses. Uh, I'm I'm amazed at at what what he sees. Um, He's just... I think he's the best in the business. Um, he's a great partner. He's a, you know, and I, and I mean that, that, that sounds like kind of a throwaway line. He's a great partner. Not everybody's a great partner. Not everybody's a great teammate. Um, and, and he wants, he, he's a great partner because he is a great teammate and he's not interested in shining above anyone or making anyone look bad. He's, he, he understands that the better everyone looks, the better he looks and the better our broadcast is. And, and that's what he does. So uh, there's, there's a reason why I was hopeful that I would get to continue to work with him. You know, it's been 20 years. We've done it together. It's hard to believe. I mean, the time has flown by, but with that said, there's, there's at least for me, there's no part of me that takes any of that for granted. So when I went to ESPN, I wasn't real sure who I was going to be working with. And then there was discussion that, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe Fox will be open to letting Joe out of his contract. And it, it went from a, a really exciting time for me to like the best of times for me to get to continue to work with him. And Joe, what's the greatest thing that Troy does as an analyst? I thought about this today. We've done a few interviews today. And and I would say, I've never said this before. I didn't say this earlier today either. I think he prepares now like a play-by-play guy. And I've never put it in those terms before, but there is there is more information that he knows about these specific players in the work and the background efforts that he makes than I would say any analyst out there in any sport and probably more than most play-by-play guys. And now you add that to somebody who understands the game at a high level, clearly, won Super Bowls, knows what it's like to take a snap and throw passes in Super Bowls, is a Hall of Famer, has more integrity in his little finger than anybody I've ever met. Um, I, 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 there's just there, He makes my job easy. And so when we were doing that preseason game, he and I left the stadium together, and I said to him, I, I can't tell you how many times I was standing there going, Man, if I was doing this with somebody I didn't know in today's climate with social media and everything else, it would be a really unnerving situation for me. And and I feel like I can handle anything that gets thrown at me in the booth, but I don't have to deal with that or worry about that. And and that's because I get to continue on with somebody I, I really admire and, and enjoy being with. You brought up today's culture, social media, 
What is that like for you guys to do a game? Are you aware of things that are or are not being said on social media as the game is unfolding? Do you pay any attention to that? Uh, no, um, I don't. I mean, I, you know, if uh, I mean, I will say I'm not I'm not. I, I think Twitter's kind of a dying platform. Now, with that being said, I'm going to get all kinds of tweets and everything else. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, occasionally I don't do it much anymore. I used to actually after a ball game, I would go and I'd read the my replies, you know, and and it was interesting because you kind of know. I mean, I, I find them all pretty funny, but but then if if you really evaluate your performance and and uh, objectively, when somebody says something, you know if you know what they're kind of right. You know, I didn't handle this particularly well. Or sometimes they say something that it causes you to pause, and you say, "Yeah, maybe you know, maybe they're they're onto something." So <laughs> I found it to be very constructive at times. I, I don't get on it much anymore, just because, like I said, I just don't think people really really care uh on on twitter i don't think it's a great platform for really evaluating much of anything anymore but um but during the game no i've never i have no clue what's going on on social media during a game uh but you know i will occasionally check my phone i've got two daughters as a single father and and then there's people who like people that i'm that i respect that will reach out and say you know maybe offer something you say oh man that's a good point about this particular game but uh, the, the, what you don't want to see is somebody say, Hey, you're trending on Twitter yourself. What did I say? You know, what happened? But no, I, I, I think most people are kind of over social media. Over social media. Well, I mean, not, not in that sense. I mean, in terms of how does it impact your job? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because no matter what you say, I mean, I'm definitely aware of, of, you know, I'm aware of what I'm saying. I'm aware of, okay, I said this, as anyone is that has a mic in front of their face, that, okay, I said this, how's this going to be misconstrued or whatever, but it can't paralyze you. And if you know you said something and 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 every the, the intentions were good, you know, and somebody wants to take that and turn it into something else, I, I don't have time for that nonsense. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't worry about it. But you like Instagram, right, Troy? I do love Instagram. And the reason I got to Instagram initially was because I got tired of all the commentary on Facebook. And, you know, I just wanted to see a picture and say, okay, hey, cool. This person's off doing this. This is awesome. Without without all the commentary. But Twitter, or uh, excuse me, Instagram, it, 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 there's enough commentary on that too. You know I mean? This guy is a media, he's a media mogul now promoting a new beer. I've never seen anybody. There's the Kardashians <laughs> do not use Instagram more oh. than Troy <laughs> So I don't want to hear it. Uh, as far as Twitter's concerned, you know, there's only so many times you can hear, oh, you suck. You hate the Giants. <laughs> you hate the Red Sox. You hate the Packers. You hate the... And eventually, it's it's just repetition, and it's just more and more. And, you know, it lives over there. Sometimes it drives me crazy when real writers get lazy and report something that gets some reaction on Twitter. Everything gets a reaction on Twitter, and then it becomes kind of a, a clickbait thing. So, you know, that with that being said, it, it is – it is not an easy time to start fresh. And, you know, I tried to do that at Fox with covering the U.S. Open and the golf community mm. is a very mm. uh, protective, like you need to really earn your stripes to be able to talk about the U.S. Open or, or you know, what it, whatever it may be. And so it's a hard time to start. And that's why I said that, you know, to, it, whoever I was standing next to, Greg Olson, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Tony Romo. There's so many things that go into being a good team. Uh, just an, an awareness of when the other person wants to talk, reading body language and knowing that they want to go, them reading yours and knowing you're not finished. And it, it just, all that unspoken stuff that gets built up over 20 years, I wanted to continue that if I could. And, and thankfully, you know, that that came to pass because Fox let me out of the last year of my deal. So it was much easier to do the Manning cast with golf than it was Fox, the U.S. Open with golf. Right, yes, Joe? because you could kind <laughs> of uh, I could have guests like you on and Troy on and Will Arnett on and joke around. And it wasn't as serious. But, man, you, you say one thing a little off in the golf world as much as golf dominates my mind about 
I don't want to say 24-7, but 22-7. Really? Uh, Wow. Yeah, I love the game. I love playing it. I I get obsessed with it. But yeah, it's it's just something different when you broadcast it. And you're doing it at Fox, a new network, and what have you. Joke, you got to come play in New York with me sometime. Well, we we were in the same field at the Big Daddy golf tournament one time, but we didn't play <laughs> together. I was there this year. You didn't make it this year. Were no, you? no, yeah. I didn't. Make L- it. Lightning doubt, lightning doubt this year. Well, good thing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Number 30 podcast presents the longest game in the spring of 1981, the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings met for a minor league game. Over the course of 33 innings, the two teams would make history. This episode features archival sound and accidental trove of the game's play-by-play broadcast and interviews with those who experienced it firsthand. Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. ESPN fantasy football experts Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp Provide all the information you need to draft your fancy football team for this season. Expert analysis, debates, and news and notes each weekday on Fantasy Focus Football. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What will it be like for you guys when the Super Bowl is played this year on Fox and you sit back to watch the game? Uh, it'll be uh, it'll be like any other year that we haven't called the game. Um, <laughs> You know, I usually have a, a party, a Super Bowl party at my house. Uh, it's a big event. Um, you know, it's a national holiday for crying out loud. But yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be good. You know, I mean, I, I we we know all those guys, of course. Uh, we you know the crew stays the same outside of Kevin and and Greg, and wish those guys well. Think think a lot of both of them, and um, it's just the the way that it works. I think the the way I've kind of looked at it, Adam, is that. So we called the game in Miami right before the right before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and so we would have obviously been calling the game this year and uh, two out of the next three years, and now we get it in five years. So there's going to be a big gap. You know, we were used to doing the Super Bowl every three years from when we first started uh, at Fox twenty years ago, and now when we uh, when we do the game on ESPN. Uh, it will have been eight years, I guess, from when we last called the Super Bowl. So there's a big gap there. Wow. It'll be the same for me. I mean, I root for all those guys. You know, we're we're dear friends with Richie Zients and Rich Russo, the, produ- the producer and the director, and Rich Gross. Yes, we had three people named Rich, uh, all <laughs> which made it easy for us, uh, and, and all those guys. Uh and gals and obviously it's well documented our our friendship with Aaron Andrews and and I'll be rooting for those guys but we've done it it's it's not like it's oh my god those guys are calling the super bowl i wish i mean honestly when the super bowl with the pressure that's involved and and i got a talking to from my former boss about this cuz i was talking a lot about it the last time we did it in miami like hey it's fun to call a super bowl there's no doubt but it, it is that's as intense as broadcasting gets. It's in front of 110 million people, and you make a mistake there. It's it's you don't ever live it down. So there, it is a high wire act, and you don't know what it's like until you sit in that chair and put that headset on and go, "Damn, I'm calling this game for a hundred million people." So I'm happy to go to a Super Bowl party. Drink beers, <laughs> throw stuff against the wall if the team I, I might have put a dollar on isn't winning, 
and critique the broadcast. That's the way, and watch the commercials. That all that stuff will be fun. You can come to mine, but you can't throw anything against the wall. So. <laughs> <laughs> what What is that like to feel that pressure when you're sitting in a booth for both of you, knowing that there are a hundred plus million people watching, and if you were to make a mistake, obviously people would be tweeting about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't know how how you could. <laughs> how you could describe it to anybody um it's it's like the age old you know whatever you do don't look down you know the, the, somebody puts a hot plate down you know hey this plate's really hot so don't touch it and the first thing you do is touch it or the first thing you look do is look down you have to guard against feeling overwhelmed by the size of the audience it shouldn't be any different than any other game you've done but you can't that's not realistic so it it is you know Kevin and Greg won't know what that's like until they go through it and they do it and then they'll go okay now I get it but it there there's a lot of pressure involved it's not crazy you can't you know it it, it can't it, it's exciting too but it's there's a lot there and and I'm I'm happy I was happy to do it every three years I wouldn't want to do it every year is there anything that you could take from playing in a Super Bowl Troy and apply it to broadcasting a Super Bowl? Because really, if you make a mistake in a Super Bowl, you make a play that people remember. It's right. probably not all that different from making a broadcasting flub in a Super Bowl. Well, that's right. And, uh, and and you know, people would tend to remember more the mistake by the player that, that maybe cost you the Super Bowl. I mean, that, that's impacting the outcome of a game. Whereas for us, I mean, we're impacting, I guess, the enjoyment for a viewer, uh, in 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 how we present it, but we're not we're not affecting, regardless of what we say, the outcome of the game. But yeah, a lot of similarities in, in that you want your best work to be when the games matter most. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was saying earlier today that I think that's I don't want to speak for Joe, but it's what I'm most proud of in our 20 years, we've called a lot of big games. We've called a lot of Super Bowls, a lot of playoff games, a lot of NFC championship games. And I feel like we, we gave, we were at our best when we were calling the biggest games. Um, and, and that's a nice legacy to, to leave. And it's, it's the legacy that I felt that I had as a player. So I think there are a lot of similarities. As we get ready to kick off the season on Monday night, September 12th on ESPN Broncos at Seahawks, is there one thing this season, a storyline, a team, a player, a trend, anything that you're looking forward to seeing more than another? Hmm. The the one thing that pops in, into my mind right now, um, it's not you know all that glamorous or sexy or quite to your question, but um, I'm I don't know I'm 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 just bullish on Indianapolis this year. Um, I, I I like Matt Ryan. Um, I, I Joe knows you know when we've called his games. I think he's a heck of a player. I think I think those that have played the game at quarterback uh, appreciate what he can do and still do and what he's done. And I just feel that. I think he's going to really help that team. I like Frank Reich. I like their running game. I, I just think Indianapolis, mm -hmm. I don't want to say it could surprise some people, but I think they have a chance to to, to be a contender. Um, beyond that, you know you know how it is. You, you cover it better than anybody, Adam, that there's so many storylines or so many things that come in and out during the season, and it's uh, it's all fantastic. I mean, it's just going to be a fun year. We can't wait. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, there's a few things that jump to mind. I mean, I, I can't believe that Devontae Adams got out of Green Bay. Um, and so, you know, he and Aaron Rodgers were special. And I, I thought it was going to be kind of a package deal. So how do they fill in for that? How do they overcome that? And and I, I really think they have to overcome that. And somebody's going to have to grow and somebody's going to have to surprise. Same with Tyreek Hill in Kansas City. You know, these are major weapons that clear out a lot of space and and put up a lot of big numbers, and those numbers have to be replaced somehow, some way. Who wins the NFC East? They haven't had a repeat winner in that division, oddly enough, for 17 years. That's crazy to even believe. But, you know, Philadelphia might be the team to, to beat in that division when everybody says Cowboys, Cowboys, Cowboys. Now with all the injuries and the way their offseason went, they have uh, they have some question marks. So 
I mean, you can go on and on and on. Does Josh Allen take the next step? Is he the guy representing the AFC in the Super Bowl? There's so many fun things to talk about. And and each week, you know, it's what keeps you employed. It's what keeps us walking in the booth with a smile on our faces. Like, all right, what are we about to see? And, you know, what's everybody going to be talking about for the next week to come? And and I, I love that. I love that feeling. And I, I think you only get that in the NFL. Joe, you bring up the Cowboys, the Cowboys, the Cowboys. And Troy, it has been so long since the Cowboys have won a Super Bowl. What the hell is going on there? That it's been <laughs> so long for not winning a championship, being largely irrelevant in the playoffs, and they're still continuing to be America's team and all the talk and all the conversation about them. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, I saw your post earlier today on Instagram, and you know we lost Ernie Zampezi, my offensive coordinator, and uh, he was the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys the last time that a Super Bowl was won back in 1995. And and since that time, you know, the Cowboys haven't even played in an NFC championship game. Uh, three playoff wins since 2000, uh, third fewest in the league. You know, it's just not how the Cowboys were built. It's not the history of the Cowboys. It's not why they became America's team. Everybody understands that. I think the, you know, kind of the the crazy part about it is, is we talk about how little they've done in the postseason, but yet in the regular season, they're up near the top in 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 victories and wins. But it it just hasn't translated uh, into January. And for a lot of franchises, maybe that would be something to hang your hat on and be proud of. But uh, I'm I like the fact that for this organization. Uh, they're 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 judged on Super Bowl victories uh, and not playoff appearances um, or playoff wins for that matter. Um, but nobody really knows the answer. I mean, last year I thought they were a really good team. I thought they had a lot of chemistry. I thought there was a lot of good things going on. Twelve and five, but I knew San Francisco was going to be a really tough game for them, and they didn't play their best football. And unfortunately for the Cowboys, twice they've been the number one seed. Uh, in the NFC, and both times they lost in the divisional round after a first-round bye. So they haven't taken advantage of the opportunity. So you say, okay, well, how do, how do you fix that? Well, nobody knows. Nobody has that answer. Uh, if somebody had the answer, then they'd get beyond that and they'd get to the Super Bowl. But um, I know that there's no one who wants to do it more than the owner, uh, Jerry Jones. And I think this. I don't think this team's as good – on paper, as they were a year ago, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, they 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 are very capable of uh, of winning it all, but it's it's a long season when you're judged based on postseason. I've been there as a player. Um, it takes a lot of the enjoyment out of the regular season, but that's where they are. Before I let you go, I just want to know if I drink eight beer, Troy, will I get veins in my arms like yours that are visible on the screen? Uh, yeah, if you eat vegetables too, I mean, come on, you can't, you know. <laughs> so I eat vegetables and wash it down with eight beer, right? Like then we're set. You know, see, Joe's got the veins. Look, yes. Can like, you uh, can you promote this podcast with uh, with that right there with a can of eight beer? I mean, like, how old are you right now? I'm 55. Yeah. Okay. So we're the same age. 55 year old men are not supposed to have arms. Forgive me for noticing that look like that with veins bulging out, Troy, looking as good as they do on your body. That's unbelievable. Well, uh, I, I, I say thank you. Um, I, I, I know you're, you're, you're half serious, half joking. No, I'm serious. I've in the last couple of years. I mean, I, I've gotten really, really, I don't, I don't like the word strict. I've gotten really disciplined in, in what I'm eating. I cut out dairy. Uh, I don't eat carbs. Um, mm. I, you know, I drink, a gallon and a half of water every day and uh, and I feel great so um you know we talked about Ernie Zampezi Joe and I were talking earlier life life is short you know and I'm trying to extend it as long as I can that's pretty impressive that you've done all that dietarily wise Joe you've done the same you cut out carbs Joe hell no <laughs> no I mean I want to live he just said life is short <laughs> that the way I take that is stuff your face drink smoke cigars eat pizza I haven't cut out carbs completely I I, I consume carbs 2.6 grams at a time that's what oh, we have to God. here we go there you go I couldn't here imagine a diet when you say no dairy no carbs that means for me no pizza I don't know 
I, yeah. I don't think I could do it. That's been the hardest thing. I'll be honest. Pizza is uh, pizza is my my cheat meal, but uh, haven't had it haven't had it in a while. You know yeah. what we got to do? We got to put a load of pizzas in the Monday night truck so that we get done <laughs> with the game. We go. I want to see Troy how tempted he is. Well, they ask us like, what do you there. what do you guys like at halftime? And Troy is the one that answered the email. He's like, uh. Baked chicken with broccoli and carrots. I'm like, will you shut up? How about a hot dog and some pizza and some chicken fingers? <laughs> I'm with you, Joe. That yeah. sounds a lot better than the big yeah. chicken and vegetables. Like, do that for one, and then the rest of us can eat what we should eat at a, at a game. <laughs> hey, guys, I want to thank you very much. Look forward to working with you guys this year. We will see you in Seattle for the opening Monday night game. Denver at Seattle should be awesome. Congratulations. Welcome to the team. And thank you for the time today. Appreciate you, pal. Yeah, great to be on your team. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great broadcasters and great men. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Really looking forward to working together with them this season and now a man getting ready for the start of this season the Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan Brian Adam how are you how are you doing I'm great how we feel about getting ready for here all right first of all nice to meet you fish I don't think we've actually met no not a, maybe maybe in passing briefly but yeah not uh not not any length of time which is odd to me because you're a lifer in this yeah. And I've been in this for 32 years. So it was yep. kind of weird to me. And it was one of the reasons that I reached out. I'm like, you know what? I want to get Brian on the podcast. I want to talk to him, get a feel for him. And that's one of the reasons that I like to do this podcast is because I get to meet people like yourself who are lifers, who yep. have been involved in the sport all their life, who know so much about it and are so respected. And I get a chance to formally meet them in a setting like this. Awesome. I'm excited to do it. Now, Brian, what was it like for you to grow up the son of a coach, particularly somebody who became a head coach in the National Football League, the great Bill Callahan? Because people speak about him in reverential ways, and everywhere he's been, the offensive line play, the running game has always been outstanding. Yep. He's coached in a lot of different places. You followed that all along, right? What was it like to grow up in a, a basically laboratory of coaching? Uh, it was, <laughs> it was, it was great. For me, if you if you enjoyed football, which I did, um, it's about as good a way as you can. Go. I mean, I spent uh, most by the time I was probably ten or eleven, I was at training camp, um, sit, hanging around my dad and and spending time there and being around the equipment room. I worked in the equipment room when when I was in high school, um, so you get it, you grow up a little bit when you do things like that. Um, but it was I, I was just I was in meetings. I followed him everywhere. I go in the offseason OTAs. I was just constantly around and. To have that sort of access, um, I didn't take it for granted. I really enjoyed it. And I got a chance to meet a lot of really great players and I uh, had a chance to be around great coaches. Um, I was sitting in NFL meetings by the, when I was, by the time I was 14. And so uh, these things are, are not new to me. You know, I've been around it for a long time now and uh, I wasn't partaking as a, as a coach or an assistant or anything like that, but I certainly learned a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, it was probably the biggest uh, moment for me to spend time with my dad. You know, he's gone a lot. And so if I wanted to go spend time with them, I'd have to go. And thankfully I was able to follow him to work. And so I uh, hung out at, hung out at the complexes everywhere he ever went. And who were some of those people that made a mark on you when you're hanging around facilities, sitting in on meetings around some great players and coaches, any stand out to you, Brian? Yeah. I mean, Rich Cannon was, was the one that probably stood out the most. I mean, I was in high school by the time that, that we were in Oakland um, and he was, he was just such a unique person to watch. Um, and he was such a fun player to watch play on Sundays just because he was so accurate uh, and he was such a master of that system uh, that it was really fun to see. Uh, he was demanding. He was hard on guys, which was, you know, as, uh, it was fun to watch that as a, as a high school quarterback, uh, trying to learn how to be a quarterback. And I, I took a lot watching Rich for a long time. Um, and it was, he was, and he was great to me too. He was very helpful. 
I'd ask him questions. He'd answer all the questions I'd have, and it, it was great. I learned a lot. How were you as a high school quarterback? Uh, probably, probably about dead average. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tried to be. I tried to be. Tried to be good. I I, I went to a really competitive high school uh, in California, Deal Sal High School. Oh. Uh, we were really good. I, I played behind a guy named Matt Gutierrez most of my high school career who ended up going to Michigan and playing in the league for a little bit. Uh, he was really talented, but uh, I was kind of the scrappy uh, backup walk-on type. And I I was good enough to play probably at some other public high schools. I was a, probably a very, like I said, ever average high school quarterback. Um, but I, I worked really hard and I think that took me a long way. But uh, I ended up walking on at UCLA and, and earned a scholarship there. Huh. And what was your first coaching break? Uh, my first coaching break was uh, in 2010 in Denver. Um, I was I had I was a graduate assistant at UCLA uh, for two years after I played there, which was great. Uh, there was we had an unbelievable staff there uh, of, of coaches that, that I learned a lot from. A lot of guys: Eric Bieniemy, John Embry, Carl Durrell, Tom Cable. Wow. Uh, it was a, it was an all-star staff, if you ask me. Looking back on it now, um, a lot of guys that have been head coaches, and so that was kind of my first coaching job. And then uh, I coached high school for two years, which was probably the best thing for me at the time. And so I was coaching in high school when, uh, when I had a chance to interview in Denver for a quality control job. What did you learn from high school that helped you that you believe is so important? Um, you learn how to teach, you know, it's, you learn how to teach. Uh, my first job was the, I was the freshman football offensive coordinator <laughs> and uh, I had kids that never even put pads on before. And so you really, forces you to refine how you teach, um, you know, guys that didn't even know what a three-point stance was. And so you had to start from literally ground zero um, and, and really be able to communicate those things to kids that have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and so it really forced me to, to, to break down how I coach and how I teach and, and make it and simple and digestible for kids that have never done it before. And how do you find yourself in Denver? What happens there to go from two years in high school coaching to coaching on the Broncos staff? Um, you know, it was, I had a, a small connection that, that allowed me to get, um, an interview, I interviewed with a, they interviewed a bunch of people. Um, and so I ended up, I interviewed, went through a in-person interview, phone interview, in-person interview, uh, ended up getting a job and, uh, for, for Josh McDaniels, his, his going into his second year there. Um, and that was a, that was a baptism by fire, uh, for me, you know, going from, from coaching high school football into that new England Patriots system, uh, and way of, a way of doing things. And, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. Uh, it prepared me to be uh, for life in the NFL as a coach, what it takes, what's, what it's required of you, uh, your preparation, and probably ultimately prepared me for uh, being able to, to, to work with Peyton when he got there in Denver. Um, that, that, mode of, that mode of detail and preparation, that no stone, no stone unturned type mindset. So how old were you when you started working with Peyton in Denver? I would have been in 2000 and he got there in 2012. So yep. I was 20, 26, 27. So what's it like for a 27 year old to be working with Peyton Manning? And that's got to be a little bit surreal. Yeah, it, it was, it was, I mean, it was, there was a lot of learning that went, involved, went into it, you know, um, learning what he wanted, how he wanted it. Um, thankfully, you know, I, I had pretty, pretty strong mentors at that time with, with Mike McCoy and Adam Gase that, uh, that really helped push my career forward and, and gave me opportunities to be uh, in that room and with the quarterbacks and uh, was an invaluable experience, but it was, it was work. I mean, it, you, you had to be on it. It was, it was, you were on every time you walked in that room, um, every single moment that he had a question, you had to be prepared to have an answer for. What did you learn from Peyton in particular? The preparation part, you know, how important it is, uh, how, and what it really means to prepare. You know, a lot of people, can talk about watching tape and preparing for a game and all that. A lot of it gets kind of tossed around, but um, his, his intensity that which he went about uh, the preparation part, the year's worth of looking at tape, knowing the coordinators, uh, knowing their tendencies, how they played it for all the things that went into making sure he had all the answers and tools he needed to, to, to play successfully in the game. Um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a level of preparation I think is, is pretty rare. There's probably only a handful of guys that, that, uh, prepare the way he did. Um, and then it, it, it was just a, you get a chance to that intensely watch him do walkthroughs and center quarterback exchange, things that seem trivial and, and aren't, um, you know, probably as, 
regarded if you watch a normal practice somewhere, but the intensity in which he did every one of those things was, was pretty remarkable. So you have a Super Bowl ring from Denver? I do. Yeah. That your one Super Bowl ring? It is my one. I've been to three. I've only got one ring though. So I would imagine you'd like to add to that ring collection that you probably have. <laughs> I would love to. That would be, that would be great. Yeah. How do we feel about the upcoming season here, Brian? Uh, really good, to be honest. Um, bunch of young talent, really good quarterback. Our defense has been playing great during camp and, you know, a bunch of guys that have not done it before together. So you get a chance to go back and do it again. Isn't it amazing how one season and a couple of players really can seemingly turn around an entire vibe and aura surrounding a franchise? Like people used to think of the Bengals in a certain way. Yeah. And now they're one of the upstart teams in the league, a trendy pick. Yep. somebody that people want to go watch and it all changed just like that. Yeah. A lot of that has to do with, 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 uh, with, with Joe Burrow and, and Jamar Chase coming in back to back years, you know, young and exciting and, and guys that are playing at the top of their uh, positions, you know, guys that are probably as good as anybody that's out there. And when you get that going and a couple wins get behind you and all of a sudden the tide turns pretty quickly, it was, it was pretty bleak, dismal uh, first couple of years here, to be honest. So, uh, it was a welcome change. But, yeah, when you get good young players and you win games, people get behind you when you win. And, and this is a, a fan base in a city that's enjoyed the uh, the process of getting back there. And so now you got a lot of support and a lot of a lot of excitement, and that's a good thing. When you go through seasons like that, it's not fun. There are a few things that are less enjoyable in a losing football season. What stands out to you about the losing ways in Cincinnati early on? You know, really, it was because we 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 lost lost some close games. You know, there's some teams that, that ran us off the field a few times. I mean, Baltimore being one of them, they got us pretty good. Uh, Pittsburgh ran us off the field. So your division teams are were, were beating us up uh, that first year. But um, we had a bunch of guys that were about the right stuff. We just didn't quite have the the collective uh, whole collection of talent that that it takes to win in the NFL at that point. Um, and I think we've done a really good job of of replenishing that both through the draft and free agency here. You know, Brian, I remember talking to people in Kansas City when they saw Mahomes for the first time and they knew right away what they had. And people in Los Angeles when they had Herbert and they knew what they had. Can you think back to a moment where you saw Joe early on where you said, OK, I know that this guy is going to be really good. And I know the long days that we've had here are going to get better. Yeah, I think the the most, you know, when you, the draft process was the starting point, you just you spend all that time watching this tape and you just, you see everything that you could ever want in a franchise quarterback, as far as his play style, his leadership, his toughness, you saw all those things on tape and uh, to have that show up in the building uh, really from the minute he got into the building was uh, him kind of taking over as a personality. Um, but I think his reputation preceded him. So he kind of earned some respect without ever having to, to step in the building. So uh, that was fun to see. But I would say the first time that you really saw uh, him take over was probably that first training camp because the whole offseason was COVID. So we were never really together until training camp started. Um, so that was really a bizarre way for him to start his career. But uh, he came in in training camp and like, the first couple practices was was just on fire. And he was everything that uh, we thought we were going to get. And it showed up almost immediately. And, and that was he won the team over pretty quickly. Joe Cool. And what about Jamar Chase? Because when he first came in, there were a lot of stories about him dropping passes. That was a big narrative last summer. And it worked out okay for him in his rookie year, I'd say. He had the most – he had the best rookie stats since Randy Moss yeah. as a rookie wide receiver and was off the charts. Could you see it in Chase right away also, Brian? I think you saw his talent, but the, the drop thing in that first training camp was legitimate. You know, he had dropped a bunch of passes in games. He had dropped some passes in practice that was open to media and fans and – um, so you saw some things that concerned you at first, but then you saw the rest of his talent. And you're like, ah, oh, he'll, he'll pull through. He's just, he's a little rusty, um, had some faith that, that it was going to come through when it needed to. And, and, it, and it sure did, uh, probably better than I think anybody expected. I, I, I knew he was going to be really good. I, I don't say, I can't sit here and tell you that I thought he was going to be uh, as productive as he was over the course of the year. It was, it was wildly impressive. And you've been around the sport a long time. Does he remind you of anybody that you've seen up close or watched? Oh, you know, I think he he's a little bit unique. Um, you know, he I, I wasn't around Anquan Bolden in his, when he was first coming out. I was around Anquan late in his career. But 
Um, I think if you're comparing just skill set and build, because he's not a huge, he's not real tall. He's not tall and lean. Uh, he's built a little bit like a running back. He's got really thick legs. Um, I think he's unique to to himself. There's not a lot of guys that have have his straight line speed and play strength that can also uh, sink their hips and change direction and get out of cuts and carry the ball and all those things. And um, yeah, he's, he's a really unique player. So when you go to the Super Bowl last year and you're facing Matthew Stafford, who you have a lot of feelings for, what was that like for you personally to experience that? A guy that you coached, you're now competing with for a Super Bowl ring. Uh, I didn't, I didn't enjoy the part of it necessarily. Um, you know, there was a part of me that was really, really happy for him uh, to, yeah. to finally be able to reach that stage. I knew, I've always felt like uh, he was capable of that. I always felt like that was something he deserved to do uh, and have a chance to do. Uh, I wish it wasn't against us uh, in that moment, but you know, that's just the way it is. And, and uh, I knew he was going to compete really hard. He was going to play really well. Uh, and he did. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a little bit mixed feeling, you know, it was, it, I didn't, if, if there was a silver lining in losing a Super Bowl, him getting a chance to have uh, have that ring would, would be would be it. And let's be honest, the other quarterback you work with in Detroit, you have to be very surprised to see Dan Orlovsky on TV doing the analysis he does today, right, Brian? I mean, you got to be really surprised at that, right? I, uh, I am actually not surprised one bit. There's nobody <laughs> that likes to debate and uh, talk about football more than Dan. He does a great job at it, too. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Dan was Dan was a, actually a huge part, a huge part of my early career. Just he helped me a ton just because he had been around for so long and had seen so many different things and um, really had a good feel for locker room scheme. And, and he was a big part of my early career, helping me get settled, uh, get my feet underneath me as a, as a young quarterbacks coach. Now, have you ever worked on the same staff with your father? You haven't in the NFL, I've never, have you? No, I've never worked with him. Um, always would would never have turned it down. Uh, if the opportunity arose, but it just never really lined up that way for us, you know, and it was, he was very adamant early in my career uh, to start it on my own and not, not for, you know, my first job as a graduate assistant at UCLA, uh, not in Nebraska with my dad. And, and he was, he said, I could work there if I wanted to, but he had, had recommended that I do it on my own um, and not get, get a job. My career started with him, be started on my own. Now, certainly I understand that my last name has helped me over the years, but um, you know, I, I, he's, he's never given me a job nor have I ever worked for him. Could that still happen at some point in time that you would wind up working with your father on the same staff? Could that be? Yeah. I mean, I, the, this, this business is wild and you never know how, how those things shake out. Um, he seems to still be enjoying coaching football. And and I know he really enjoys coaching in Cleveland and, and working for Coach Stefanski up there. And so, um, you know, if there was ever an opportunity that, that we could, uh, I would certainly explore it just because he's he's I think he's the best at what he does. Is it odd to have to face him twice a year? Yeah, a little bit. You know, what's that like in a week like that where you're playing the uh, Browns? You know, it's it's it was it was strange at first. I've gotten used to it a little bit now. It's been you know it's been two years of it, but um, the first year was strange just because you spend your whole life as a coach's kid. Uh, you're you're kind of your dad's biggest fan. You're the you're, you're the team that he works for is the team that you support. You know, it's you, you kind of live it and breathe it. And yeah. uh, to, to and then even from afar, in the years that we weren't. To, you know, we played each other over over time, but, um, you know, we, we didn't play each other a lot and you still root for him. You know what I mean? I still root for my dad and first success. And it's just really weird to have his success and my success uh, intertwined at a point where neither one of us really wants the other one to win, um, you know, for the sake of our teams and organizations and all that. So it's a little weird. But the fun part is um, we get a chance to, to, to have dinner and, and catch up and talk and, you know, the, we spend a lot of time apart just by the nature of the job. And so it's, it's a nice uh, time for us to get together and, and hang out pregame or go to dinner night before or something like that. So, so you will be able to do that, right? The game doesn't come up, right? You don't talk about no, that at all. No, we, we very, really talk, uh, talk shop about our teams. You know, we kind of, he's always been probably my biggest um, sounding board for advice and, and which I, which is still always going to be the case, uh, but we just, we kind of just keep, keep our, team's business about as separate as we can just out of respect for the for the you know we're in the division and we work for two different organizations and that compete directly against each other so uh, we try to be mindful of that but things that we share between ourselves kind of stay between us when it's uh, when it's those such conversations come up but for the most part uh, we don't talk much about you know each other's ongoings uh, unless it's more of a coaching or personal question when it comes to that so uh, we do a good job of, of keeping it professional, I guess, is the best way to put it. And Brian, before I let you go, we're about 10 days out of the opener as we tape this. You're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. How deep are we into preparations for that opening game against the Pittsburgh Steelers and what that game, 
And what is that game going to be like? Uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a battle. You know, those those guys are are it's a proud proud team, proud franchise, and, and we got the best of them last year. Uh, I'm sure they're looking to to make up for that this year. Uh, they got a ton of talent all the way across the board. Uh, they're breaking in some new stuff on offense. They got some. They, I mean, they're good. It's a good football team, and and like, there's probably not many coaches I have more respect for than than what Mike Tomlin's done there over his career. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a, a, a typical AFC North divisional clash to open the season, which is which is fun. And uh, this the way this new training camp schedule has worked out has allowed us to a little to kind of slowly introduce the the Pittsburgh stuff. We don't go too crazy. We'll get a little bit of work on it to, tomorrow and Thursday take a little break and then come back and then jump right into it. So you bring up Pittsburgh and Cleveland it just reminds me of a conversation that I'll leave with last year. Remember after you guys lit up one of your division opponents and had the kind of performance that you did throughout the course of the year, I remember somebody telling me that the teams in the AFC North now have to tailor their drafts to stop the Bengals offensive attack that you're putting together, by the way, which is kind of interesting to think that these other teams have to draft to slow you guys down. That's always the idea. If you're building an offense, you want people to, to, to have some fear of what you're capable of doing. And I think that uh, our guys have, have put it on tape and they've done it. we got great players. Uh, and now we get a chance to go try to do it again. And we've hey, got Brian, a lot of continuity. I appreciate you finally taking the time. It's nice to finally get the chance to talk to you. I truly appreciate that and your time. And thank you so much for having me. Enjoy it. And there is the respected offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals, Brian Callahan, as he takes some time out of his schedule and the preparations for the regular season opener against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We thank him very much for his time. And now as we get ready for the start of the season, there are fans across the country all getting ready for their fantasy football drafts. Now we taped a special a fantasy cheat sheet special, which is available on ESPN Plus, where there are players that we've listed that you should be drafting ahead of their ADP, average draft position. It's a guide that hopefully people can use and find some success with during the draft. But again, it's a little bit of a cheat sheet for everybody involved in fantasy football drafts available on ESPN+. And to complement that, we usually have Pete Bomarito of Bomarito Performance Systems, which is a training facilities in Fort Lauderdale, Miami. He usually comes on at this time of the year, but because we had all these guests we got some cliff notes from Pete Bomarito about some of the players that he's trained during the offseason that he believes are poised to have big year. And he said this year's rookie guarantee from Pete Bomarito of Bomarito Performance Systems is the Packers wide receiver, Christian Watson, not Romeo Dubs, but Christian Watson. He wrote the combination of elite size and incredible speed. Never seen a wide receiver this tall, this fast. Haven't been this excited about an incoming wide receiver since Stephon Diggs. So high praise there for Christian Watson. Other wide receiver that he's very high on, rookie, Velas Jones Jr., rookie with the Bears. Pete wrote, built like a tank, looks like a running back, and run like a two when he gets the ball. Will be dynamic as a rookie wide receiver and return specialist. Runs a 4-3-140 at the combine. Speed surprised people, and he literally plays that fast. The strength in and out of his breaks is as good as it gets. He's also big on the Rams wide receiver, Allen Robinson, another wide receiver he trained during the offseason. He wrote, best offseason he's had with training, and he'll explode in the Rams offense. He trained Michael Carter and Aaron Jones and writes about Carter. I know he was my sleeper last year. This year, he'll be even better. If the Jets offense overall puts it together, he'll have Pro Bowl stats. And Aaron Jones, he writes, will get more opportunities. And he actually looks faster now than he ever has, which I didn't even think was possible. So some ringing endorsements for Christian Watson, Felix Jones Jr., Allen Robinson, Mike Carter, Aaron Jones. We'll see how that works out from Pete Bomarito of Bomarito Performance Systems. We appreciate him and his fantasy insights. And we mentioned fantasy drafts. Fancy drafts, that may be one of the most exciting days of the year. I have both my drafts Wednesday, September 7th, one at 5.30, one at 8, and everybody is looking for an edge. There's nothing like that draft day, nothing like it. And just last week, got a message on Instagram from one Henry Hasselback, the son of Matthew Hasselback, the nephew of Tim Hasselbeck and both Hasselbeck brothers share a team 
in the famed ESPN War Room League, fantasy football league with 16 teams. And Henry shot me a direct message on Instagram and said, top five wide receivers out of nowhere. This was last Saturday at night. And I said, in the NFL or in fantasy? And he said, fantasy-wise. Also, what would you say is the best scoring defense? To which I said, what number is your dad in the war room draft? Because this will be just like Matthew and Tim to put Henry up to direct message me to try to get some information about the war room league draft that I don't want to reveal before we make our picks on Wednesday, September 7th. And Henry responded, sir, this is for personal information in my own league. He is the least of your concerns, meaning his father, Matthew. So I shared with him my top wide receivers for the year. And obviously he doesn't feel that strongly about his father's fantasy prowess. So according to Henry Hasselbeck, we should not be worried about the Hasselbeck team in the War Room League draft this year. We'll see how that plays out. But fancy football drafts coming this upcoming week, along with the start of the regular season and the debut of Monday Night Football. It is all coming together. It is a glorious time of the year, and we look forward to all this happening. We want to thank our guests, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, as they get ready to embark upon their new career at ESPN in the first Monday Night Football game of the season. Denver at Seattle, Monday night, September 12th. We want to thank the offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals, Brian Callahan, as he gets ready for his opener against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah Abbott, for putting this podcast together. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Hope everybody enjoys the start of the season. Have a great week. Be well and stay safe.